Well, good morning, everyone. Hope everybody has a cup of coffee and their Bible before you. Uh, we're going to start our Sunday school service. Uh, I'm here at my home, uh, remote location, uh, because of the health crisis. Uh, we're streaming our service online today, so I hope that uh, many of you can join me for our Sunday school class. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 17, and we're going to be talking about Ishmael this morning. Uh, so before we get started, let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we truly want to thank you for the gift of technology, for the gift of live streaming, and for social media platforms such as Facebook and YouTube, to where we can uh, still have church when we are unable to physically meet together, and that the internet can, uh, uh, can unite us across vast distances of, of, of time and space. And I know that there's going to be people watching that aren't even living in New Brunswick or in Plaster Rock. So, Lord, I'm just thank, uh, thankful for this opportunity. I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, open up our hearts and minds to your word this morning. Help us to know what your word is trying to say to us so we can apply it to our hearts and lives and minds. Help us to understand the historical, linguistic, cultural, and customatic context of your word, which is so important that helps us to understand uh, the spiritual truth behind things much better, and in turn, it gives us a better, sharper, focused image on the Brit Hadesha, uh, the New Testament, the New Covenant Scriptures, and the times of Yeshua, our Messiah. So, Lord, uh, I just pray that you would just bless everyone that's going to be tuning in today and listening from home, that, Father, that you would just uh, bless them, and uh, may your Holy Spirit be present among us. You said that whether two or more are gathered in your name, I am, I am in the midst. We may not physically be together, but uh, you know, through uh, this technology, we, uh, we are together. There's two or more. So we thank you, and we praise you for this. And we ask and pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, for those that are joining us that don't normally attend our church, uh, our Sunday school class, we started in Genesis 1-1, and we're slowly making our way through uh, the, the book of Genesis. And that's what we're doing with our Sunday school class. So we've made it to Genesis chapter 17. Now, the great thing about technology is uh, I don't have to open my Bible. I could just click on the screen and go directly to my text. So as I said before, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 17, and we'll begin there. I'm reading from the Tree of Life version, which is a Messianic uh, version of the scriptures. They were 70 scholars that worked on this, both Christian and Jewish and Hebrew. And they've come together to make a Messianic translation, which, which has more of a Hebraic flavor. Uh, so it really brings to life in a, in a Jewish way the Old Testament scriptures. So we're going to begin by just reading verses, uh, the first couple verses. It says, when Abram, now this was before his name change, when Abram was 99 years old, Adonai appeared to Abram and he said, I am El Shaddai. So at this point, God did not reveal his personal uh, Hebrew name to Abraham. Uh, he just knew a title, uh, and a title is different from a name. Uh, God's uh, proper Hebrew name is spelt in the Hebrew yud heh vav -Hey. There's a great controversy on how it's pronounced, but the best guesstimation is Yahweh or Yahweh. Uh, so he says, my name is El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai means God. El Shaddai means Almighty. I am the Almighty God. 
In other words, he's putting himself by his title as a god above all other gods, Baal, Molech, Dagon, you name it. He's above them all. He says, I am El Shaddai. Continually, habitually, walk before me and you will be blameless. Walk before me. Walk before me in faith. Walk before me in obedience and you will be blameless is basically what this says. My heart's desire is to take, is to make my covenant between me and you and then I will multiply you exceedingly much. So here's this covenant that God is making with Abram. The problem that we have here is Abram doesn't have any descendants at this point. So how is God going to multiply him exceedingly much? Sure, he's got a lot of riches. Sure, he's got a lot of household servants. Sure, he's got uh, authority, reputation, name, and power amongst the people and his allies and the countrymen around him. But he has no one to carry on his family lineage. But here we're going to get into that in the scripture that this is going to, to all be rectified. So verse 1 again says, Abram was 99 years old when Adonai appeared to Abram. So back in chapter 16, verse 16, it says Abram was 86. So he was 86 years old when he made that promise that I'm going to give you a son from your own loins, uh, from you, meaning from the union between him and Sarah. Because, uh, you know, the two, uh, the two shall become one flesh, according to Genesis, right? You know, if a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, they shall be one flesh. So it's not saying that I'm going to give you a son through Hagar or through a concubine or through some other woman. It's going to be through your flesh, your flesh implying the union between Sarah and Abraham. So he was 86 years old when God gave him this promise. So all these years has passed. Now he finds himself at 99 years old, still doesn't have any, any children. Uh, still doesn't have that promised child from, from Sarah. Uh, but, but we see at this point that Ishmael is born, and a lot of people kind of poo-poo on Ishmael because he's not the promised seed, and you know they take those scriptures, he's a wild donkey of a man, etc., etc. Try to make Ishmael out to be the bad guy. Ishmael's really the innocent victim in all this. He never asked or chose to be born. It was, uh, it was a faithless, disobedient act to try to move God's hand or to fulfill God's promise on man's timetable and not God's. And uh, so Ishmael was born. So at this point, uh, you've got 99 take away 86. That's 13 years. So at this point, Ishmael is 13 years old when God speaks to him at this particular time. So um, in verses 1 and 2, we have the reiteration and the affirmation of the covenant that God made between himself and Abram from chapter 15. And this is also uh, kicking off and starting a new covenant. Now, this new covenant is some, not something that's different or separate. Whenever a God makes a covenant, he makes covenants in like stair steps. So one covenant lays the foundation for the next covenant. That covenant lays the next foundation for the covenant coming after that. So it's a progressive covenant that builds up. And uh, so none of these covenants are separate entities in and of themselves to be totally separate and immune from the previous covenant before. So the covenant that God made with Abram in chapter 15 is being built upon here in chapter 17 regarding the covenant of circumcision. Now you've seen me turning my head a lot. I have a little table here with my notes that I'm going by. So uh, you'll know <laughs> why I'm doing that. So we're getting ready to talk about the new covenant of circumcision. 
When Abram was 99 years old, Adonai appeared to Abram, and he said to him, I am El Shaddai. Continually walk before me, and you will be blameless. My heart's desire is to make my covenant between me and you, and then I will uh, multiply you exceedingly much. So let's move on uh, to verses 3 through 5. Abram fell on his face. Falling on his face is a symbol of submission, of obeisance, of, um, of honor and of respect, of worship. So Abraham was worshiping God and, uh, you know, kind of falling uh, before him kind of as, as a servant would an uh, earthly king. Abram fell on his face and God spoke to him saying, for my part, because my covenant is with you, you will be the father of a multitude of nations, not just one nation. Not just one nation. We think of, you know, the Abrahamic covenant and the covenant with Isaac and therefore the, uh, uh, the, the, the 12 sons of Israel becoming the, the nation of Israel. Um, but this is speaking more uh, than just Israel. For my part, because my covenant is with you, you will be the father of a multitude, meaning more than just one. So what are we talking about here? We know that Abram, soon to be Abraham, had more than just Ishmael and Isaac. He had many, many other sons. And so a multitude of nations came out of Abraham. You have Israel, which split off basically into two houses, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, in essence becoming two nations. So that one nation split off into two. But Ezekiel 37 gives us the prophecy that one day they will be united and be one again. Then you have Ishmael's descendants, which he had 12 princes, 12 tribes, if you will. And then you had other sons that are mentioned later in, in Chronicles and other kind of lineage type texts where uh, Abram had more sons than just Ishmael and Isaac. So you have all of the Jewish and Hebrew nations as well as all the Arab nations that came from uh, Abram or Abraham. Uh, so moving on, no longer will your name be Abram, but your name will be Abraham. Now, I mentioned this last week, but for the sake of those that are just tuning in and for the sake of those uh, that are new and that are watching, let me get back to my text here. Um, Abraham, the only thing God did with Abram's name is add one Hebrew letter. It's the letter hey. And when I say hey, I have to use my breath and articulate it with my breath. That's what that Hebrew letter symbolizes. It symbolizes life. It symbolizes breath. And, you know, and God uh, formed man in his own image, you know, out of the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Abram and Sarai, they were, they were genetically dead. You know, perhaps Abram was sterile to a point. We know that Sarah's womb was closed. Uh, they, were, they were an infertile couple. And so to, in order to have Isaac, the miracle of Isaac, life had to be brought back into the loins of Abram and Sarai. So God added the letter, hey, the breath, the breath of life. And so it's Abram to Abraham, and it's Sarah or Sarai to Sarah. And so that regenerated them, spiritually speaking, to a physical point where that spiritual truth manifested to a physical point to where they were fertile once again and able to have children. Your name will be, uh, no longer will your name be Abram, but your name will be Abraham, because I make you the father of a multitude of nations. Here again, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael, and all these other sons that, that are later named, 
um, they become, you know, the Hebrew, Jewish, and Arab nations. But not only that, but spiritually speaking, remember that childhood song? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Spiritually, when we accept Yeshua as our Messiah, we are grafted in to that family of Abraham. And whatever our nation is, becomes one of Abraham's nations as well, so to speak. You know, uh, the United States and Canada, Canada uh, used to be called Christian nations. And so therefore we were spiritually grafted in and spiritually a part of that Abrahamic covenant uh, through Messiah Yeshua, through Jesus Christ. So I think this is not only talking about physical nations, physical descendants, but also spiritual, spiritually speaking, the nations that will come from Abraham through salvation in Jesus Christ, Messiah Yeshua. So he says, no longer will your name be Abram, but your name will be Abraham because I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. And that's what Abraham means. Um, Abra or Ab means father. Am, Ham means peoples, nations. So he is becoming the multitude, the father of a multitude of nations. Verse six, yes, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, again, plural, nations, and kings will come forth from you. Kings will come forth from you. So we know that, that um, Ishmael's children were 12 in number. They had descendants. They had their own tribes. They could become their own dynasties, therefore having their own kings. We know that Israel split off into two houses, the house of, sometimes called the house of Ephraim, but it's the house of Israel and the house of Judah. They had their own line and dynasty of kings, but it goes further than that because we know that, and now I'm starting to speak in theory. So just kind of take what I say and remember that this is uh, theoretical, uh, that the 12 tribes of Israel, they were taken off into captivity. Judah, Levi, and a smattering of Benjamin was taken off into uh, Babylonian captivity. Years later, they returned and they are who we recognize as the Jewish people today. However, you had 10 other tribes that were taken off into Assyrian captivity. That captivity never end. They were scattered and assimilated all over the world into the nations where they were scattered to. So there are people that are part of the 12 tribes of Israel that are walking around, they're Hebrews and they just don't even know it. But as prophecy is being fulfilled, we see that these people groups are waking up to their identity, who they really are. My case in point is the Ibu people of Nigeria, who I've been working with for many years, they are part of the lost tribe of Gad, coming from Gad's sons, Eri, Areli, Arodi, and possibly Isbon. And uh, so they are Hebrews. And, you know, so we're talking about these nations here. Um, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings will come forth from you. So there is a theory called British Israelitism. I don't buy totally into it. I think there's some merit there. But looking at the etymology of the names that come out of that, people are saying that British, Brit-ish, those are two Hebrew words that are put together. Brit meaning covenant, ish meaning man, covenant man. The Saxons uh, believe that that's a corruption of Isaac's sons, Saxons, sons, Isaac's sons. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but there is a theory uh, and a legend that one of King David's daughters was taken uh, to protect and, 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 and save her life, was taken and ended up in Ireland. And she married into the royal family there. And there's certain uh, legends and rumors that even the royal family of England is somehow connected to Abraham through Isaac. But I digress. I just thought that would be interesting for you to know, not saying that 
I'm purporting that or that I'm endorsing that in any way, shape, or form, but just thought that that would be something that would interest you. So um, moving on, uh, so we have um, verse 7. Yes, I will, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you. Now, kind of what I got from this, just in the English, when it says seed, you have seed and seeds, but seed, maybe this is more specifically talking about Isaac because he's carrying on the lineage and the promise of that redemption through Messiah Yeshua. Genesis, the Proto-Evangelium of Genesis 3.15 talks about the seed of the woman that uh, is going to come and crush the head of the serpent and destroy the seed of the serpent. Well, we know this is Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and we know through Abraham, Isaac, through Judah, and through, you know, Jesse, ultimately, Yeshua, Jesus, is born. So, I will establish my covenant between me and your seed after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant in order to be your God and your seed's God after you. So, here we have the plural seeds, and this might be kind of hinting at of, of Abraham's descendants, not only the Hebrews and Jews, but the Arabs. They also claim uh, um, the God of Abraham through Ishmael, and they claim to worship the same God we do. Uh, verse 8, I will give to you and, your, and to your seed after you the land where you are an outsider. So this is the land of Canaan, and it's named after Ham's son Canaan, who was cursed because, remember, Ham came in, and Ham saw his father and his mother naked, uh, and uh, Japheth and Shem came in and covered him up, and then after Noah woke up from his stupor, his drunken stupor, he cursed Canaan. Why not Ham? Because God blessed Ham, Shem, and Japheth. They could not be cursed because God already blessed them. But Canaan, his son, was cursed, received the curse. And if, you know, for those who have been in our Sunday school class, we talked about Genesis 6 and talked about the incursion of the Nephilim, the giants, which are the sons of God and the daughters of men come together, creating these Nephilim, these giants, these fallen ones, which is basically a hybridization of the angelic and the, and the, uh, uh, the human. And so these are unredeemable people because God came to redeem human beings, not angels, not human angel hybrids, pure humans. So therefore, it was the, uh, the nations and the peoples of Canaan, the tribes of Canaan, that uh, mostly had these giant tribes, the Zuzim, the Zamzumim, the Emim, the Rephaim, and things like that. And the giants had to be wiped out of Canaan before Israel can come in and take that land of promise. So basically, God has given the land of Canaan to, to Abraham's descendants through Shem, through Isaac, but Ham's descendants through Canaan were squatting on that land. And a lot of people think, you know, a lot of people say, well, God of the Old Testament is a wrathful God. He's a genocidal God. I'm not going to serve him, you know, because he killed men, women, and children indiscriminately. Well, warfare with Canaan was totally different than warfare with peoples outside of the nations of Canaan. Because Canaan had this incursion of the Nephilim, this, this mingling with the angelic and human seed, creating these giants, these fallen ones, they were not redeemable anyway. They were outside of God's created order, God's plan of creation and plan of salvation. Therefore, that's why they were uh, totally wiped out, men, women, children, and animals, because even the animals had become corrupt at that point. But when it says once you conquer Canaan and you're conquering other nations, you know, uh, first give a give a treaty of peace 
And if they refuse this, then go to war and kill their men, but keep their women and children and take the goods and the booty and the animals for yourself. So we see a difference here. Okay, kind of off track, but uh, I digress. We'll continue on. Um, verse 8, I will give to you and to your seed after you the land where you are an outsider, the whole land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This still has yet to be fulfilled. Because right now, Israel, yes, that's part of the promised land, but it's only the size of the state of New Jersey. So the borders is from the Nile to the Euphrates, and there's other, you know, uh, designated borders, which covers part of the Middle East, Iran, Iraq, and places like that. Well, obviously, Israel doesn't control that swath of territory and land, so that has yet to be fulfilled in its entirety. Uh, okay, so let me jump down really quick to verses 15 and 16. It says, God also said to Abraham, as for your wife, Sarai, you shall not call her by the name Sarai, but rather Sarah is her name, and I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son from her, not from a concubine, not from Hagar, from her. Again, reiterating the one flesh principle, you know, of, of Abraham and Sarah. I will bless her, and she will give rise to nations. Again, nations. I will give, give rise to nations. Kings of the peoples will come from her. So that's pretty amazing. Again, I think it's talking more than just Israel and uh, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I think it's talking about the Arab nations. And even beyond that, where the ten tribes were scattered abroad, and maybe some royalty came from that and rose up within the ranks of those people groups they were assimilated to. And, uh, you know, so that kind of gives uh, the, the 12 tribe kind of theory there. All right, so um, jumping to verse, let's go back to verse 6. Uh, actually, yeah, let's, let's continue on and start at verse 9 again. God also said to Abraham, as for you, my covenant you must keep and your seed after you throughout your generations. This is my covenant that you must keep between me and you and your seed after you. All your males must be circumcised. So this is talking about the physical descendants of Abraham must be circumcised. It's not talking about the Gentiles who are grafted in because the covenant of circumcision was prior to the Mosaic covenant, the 613 commandments of the Torah, of the Mosaic law. So circumcision didn't become a part of conversion to Judaism until after the time of the Maccabees in the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. If you wanted to convert to Judaism, you just had to uh, acknowledge uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, pledge your allegiance to that, them, and join yourself to the nation of Israel like this. You didn't have to be circumcised per se, but you could you know, be part of the Abrahamic faith through that. Circumcision was, was optional for the Gentile, and, and still is. It's still optional for the Gentile. So it says, God also said to Abraham, as for you, my covenant you must keep, and your seed after you throughout your generations. This is my covenant that you must keep between me and your seed after you. All your males must be circumcised. You must be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and this will become a sign. This word sign is the Hebrew word ult, meaning a physical, tangible sign, not something metaphysical or spiritual or allegorical. A sign of the covenant between me and you. We know that covenants in the Old and New Testament were sealed with blood. They called it a cutting of the covenant. Um, remember the covenant between the parts uh, that we talked about a few uh, weeks earlier, where God first made that covenant with Abraham and all of the Levitically 
pure, clean animals that are used in the sacrificial service of the temple and tabernacle were split in two, creating a bloody red carpet, if you will. And the participants in the covenant walked the path of this blood and say, if I don't keep my part of the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me? Well, we know that Abram fell asleep. So therefore, he wasn't obliged to keep the covenant because God knew he couldn't. So God, through the manifestation of a smoking, uh, flaming fire, passed through the, the river of blood between these animals and said, I'm going to keep this covenant. I'm going to be the, the sole person responsible for making this covenant come to pass with you. So it was called a breed, a, a covenant, a cutting of the covenant. So blood is always involved in the covenant. So circumcision is in the most intimate part of the male anatomy. It is the, the organ of regeneration. It is an organ of intimacy. And even these odd, these odd customs that we read about in the scripture, uh, where when Abram was talking to Eleazar, or Abraham was talking to Eleazar rather, saying, go get a wife for my son Isaac. And he says, put your hand under my thigh and swear to me. Well, that sounds weird. You know, why would a guy be touching another guy's thigh? Well, that is the closest, into maintaining modesty and respect, that's the closest that you can come to touching the male organ without actually touching it. So basically, Abraham was swearing by the covenant of circumcision, the most intimate covenant, the most sacred pact between God and mankind, that it was actually a physical sign that was to be carried on throughout all these generations. So verse 11, you must be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. Now, what, is, what does foreskin do? Foreskin covers the most sensitive and intimate part of the male anatomy. When you cut that off, you become more sensitive. So taking away the foreskin is taking away the callousness, taking away the insensitivity, and, and it creates a closer intimate relationship symbolically with God because, you know, you, you're not hardened. And foreskin has is, is always been attributed to, allegorically in the scripture, as being callous, as being dull, as, uh, um, you know, being, uh, what am I trying to say here? Um, not being close and intimate with God. All right, uh, so moving on, verse 12. Also, your eight-day-olds must be circumcised. Every male through your generations, including house-born slaves or slaves bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your seed. So eight days old, what's special about eight days? We know that seven is a very important number in biblical numerology with God. It represents the creation week. There's, uh, you know, Revelation talks about and Isaiah talks about the seven spirits of God, uh, the seven days of creation, the seven candle uh, sticks or, uh, you know, seven churches. We can go on and on. But uh, seven also represents completion and perfection because of the creation week. Now, eight is just one more. It represents a new start, a new beginning, because at day eight, you're starting the week over again. So eight represents a new beginning. So this covenant represents of circumcision represents a new beginning. And uh, also, scientifically, it has been discovered that at eight days old, this is when children start developing vitamin K within their blood, and that produces the blood clotting factor. So it's safe to circumcise a child at eight days old because they're going to clot. It's going to be all right. So. Um, just checking my notes here and making sure that uh, I'm getting everything here. Now, I'm just going to stop right here and kind of uh, talk to you a little bit about Judaism, uh, that there is three there is three ordinations in Judaism. You can be ordained to be a rabbi, which is sort of like a pastor or a preacher, a minister, right? So there's an ordination. You can also be ordained to become a shochet. Now, a shochet 
is a butcher, which means you know how to kosherly slaughter and dismember an animal for sacrifice and or butchering for food purposes. The third ordination is a mohel, and a mohel, uh, a mohel is uh, also uh, ordination for circumcision. So you have to be ordained uh, to be able to be a butcher, a rabbi, or to circumcise children or to circumcise people, bring them into the covenant. You have to be ordained. So you have to actually get an ordination for these things. So I thought that was kind of interesting too. Um, okay, so let's moving on here. Uh, I know some people are commenting. I want to say hello to everybody that has joined us. I'm sorry I can't comment back. The kind of reading the the the, the uh, comments is a little bit too distracting. So I'm just going to stay focused on the text here. Uh, all right. So uh, verse fifth. Okay, we already read verses 15 through 16. Let's jump to verse 17. It says then Abram fell on his face and laughed. That's where we get the name Isaac from because. Abraham laughed in belief, like, oh my gosh, this is so joyous. I'm giddy. I'm almost drunk with joy because I can't, I, you know, I can't believe this is happening, but I know, God, you're going to do it. Whereas Sarah laughed in disbelief, like, <laughs> me, this old lady, I'm going to have a child. So that's why Isaac is named Laughter. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to his heart, will a son be born to me at a hundred, to a hundred year old man? Or will Sarah, who is 90 years old, give birth? So Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live before you. See, Ishmael's not the bad guy here. Uh, you know, God loved Ishmael just as much as he loved Isaac. The only difference with Isaac is he was carrying on the lineage and seed and the divine covenant of Messiah. So, okay, I want to read to you a little paper that I wrote uh, a few years back. It's called Ishmael's Acheda. Now, the Acheda means the binding. And we read about the binding of Isaac when Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah and was going to sacrifice him as a whole burnt offering because God said to. God stopped him, provided a ram for the sacrifice, etc., etc. So uh, Ishmael had a, a binding, if you will, as well. It says, every day in prayer, once a year, in our Torah portion, and every Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, we read of the Akedah, Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac upon God's command, and we know Isaac was spared from being a burnt offering, we know that Isaac was being was spared from uh, becoming a burnt offering because of the ram that was caught by its horns in the bushes, and Abraham ended up offering the ram instead of his son. All of this because Isaac is the promised one, and the covenant made by God with Abraham was destined to carry on through Isaac and his descendants. However, we know of Abraham's firstborn through Hagar named Ishmael. If one reads the Torah carefully, you will see Ishmael too was loved by God, regardless of what, uh, what his descendants may have become today. And all the promises given to Isaac, save the covenant itself, was given to Ishmael. And we read about this in Genesis 17, 17 through 21. So I'll go ahead and read that and continue commentating. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to his heart, Will a son be born to a hundred-year-old man? Or will Sarah, who is 90 years old, give birth? So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live before you. But God said, On the contrary, Sarah your wife will bear you a son, and you must name him Yitzhak, Isaac. So I will confirm my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for a seed after him. This is the messianic covenant that a Messiah, the, 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 the destroyer of the seed of the serpent, was going to come through Isaac's line. Verse 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Now, Ishmael, what does Ishmael's name mean? 
Ishmael, Ish meaning man, Shma meaning to hear, El meaning God. So Ishmael means the man that God hears or the man uh, or God has heard the man. That's what Ishmael's name means. So it's kind of reiterated in this verse. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. See, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and I will multiply him very, very much. He will be the father of 12 princes. What? 12 princes. How many tribes are there in Israel? 12. How many tribes or princes are there in Ishmael? 12. Same covenant, same promise. And I will make him a great nation. He also said that he was going to make Israel a great nation, right? But my covenant, in other words, this messianic covenant, I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. All right, so we'll go, we'll go ahead and stop there, and I'll continue on with the little paper I wrote. So we see that Ishmael's Akedah, or Ishmael's binding, happened before Isaac's. Instead of Abraham, it was Hagar, uh, though Abraham, too, was grieved. Instead of a burnt offering, it was death by thirst. And instead of a ram as salvation, it was the water, uh, the well water. So we remember, basically, uh, Ishmael's trial was that Sarah said, send Ishmael away. He's not going to be, you know, part of Isaac and part of the covenant. You know, Ishmael's dangerous. I'm afraid something's going to happen to Isaac. So send Hagar and, and your son away. This grieved Abraham, but he did it anyway because God said, listen to your wife, Sarah. So we find that uh, Hagar was out in the desert, right? And, well, we'll get into that later. Um, so tradition says that Isaac went to study with Shem after his Akedah, after his binding, that uh, almost sacrifice at Mount Moriah, and we see Ishmael becomes an archer. Isaac marries shortly after the Akedah, as does Ishmael. So Isaac marries Rebekah, and uh, Ishmael gets married, and we'll talk about that later. Isaac was in his 30s, and Ishmael was in his teens. So Isaac was in his 30s when the binding took place, whereas Ishmael was in his teens. So let's go on and continue. Uh, okay, just trying to get my place here in the Word of God here. All right, so it says, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this time next year. Okay, so, um, all right, again, when Abram sent, or Abraham sent his son Ishmael and Hagar away, they were out in the, in the desert, in the wilderness, the water ran out. Uh, Hagar was in distress, said, what am I going to do? Angel of the Lord shows up, shows her a well, is able to uh, give water to Isaac, or uh, Ishmael rather. And the angel says, God has heard you. So she calls, you know, the place, place where God sees. So um, they're sent off to live in the desert, right? And uh, we, we'll get into that in the other passages here. So let me read to you also from Genesis chapter 21. I'm going to get to it here. Genesis chapter 21, verses 10 through... 21. Okay, so, so she said to Abraham, drive out this female slave and her son, for the son of this female slave will not be an heir with my son Isaac. Now the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's eyes on account of his son, but God said to Abram, Abraham, do not be displeased about the boy or your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her voice, for through Isaac shall your seed be called. Yet I will also make the son of the slave woman into a nation because he is your seed. So Abraham got up early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, put it on them and on her shoulder and the child and sent them away. 
she went and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. Beersheba means wells of oath. When the water of the skin was finished, she abandoned the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down herself opposite a bowshot away and said, I can't bear to see the child dying. So she sat down opposite and lifted up her voice and wept. Then God heard the boy's voice, which is what Ishmael means. God hears the man. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, because God has heard the boy's voice where he is. Get up, lift up the boy, hold him, hold on to him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Again, Ishmael is being said that he's going to be a great nation as well. Then God opened her eyes and saw a well of water, and she went and filled the water skins and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew, and dwelt in the wilderness, and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his wife took his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt, which is where Hagar's from, because she's Egyptian, right? Moving on. According to the book of Jasher, according to the book of Jasher, Abraham went into the wilderness to, vit, to visit Ishmael several times, and Ishmael still loved and followed after the ways of Abraham and his God and took his counsel. We see in the Torah that Isaac and Ishmael reconciled at the death of their father. So in Genesis chapter 25, we see Isaac and Ishmael mend the fence and bury the hatchet. In Genesis chapter 25, verses 8 through 10, it says, So Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age and satisfied. Then he was gathered to his people. Then Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the cave of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, next to Mamre, the field that Abraham bought from the sons of Heth. Or Heth. There Abraham was buried along with Sarah, his wife. So Ishmael was thought uh, was Ishmael is thought and is claimed to be the Muslim people. So basically, you know, for the Jewish people, Ishmael Ishmael is the uh, Ishmael is our cousin. Oh, to God that we may bring him back to God, and the faith of Abraham our father. Uh, so be it, Lord. So be it. Amen. So Genesis seventeen eighteen says, and Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Here we see Abraham also embodies the trait of love. He loved Isaac as much as he loved Ishmael. And even though Isaac was to be the one Adonai chose to carry on with the covenant, we see here Abraham was still concerned about the welfare and future of his other son, Ishmael. As a result, God gives Ishmael similar blessings that he gave to Isaac. And we already went over those. So Genesis 17, 20 says, And as far as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and I will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and will make him a great nation. What a man, Abraham, what a man, what a father, what an example, what a type of Messiah. You know, these are the traits that we are to strive for as believers. So, we're going to continue on uh, with verse 22 of Genesis chapter 17. So, allow me just a second to get back there. It's a lot easier to click than to turn pages sometimes. So in Genesis chapter 17, we're going to finish off this chapter, therefore finishing our Sunday school class for this morning. It says, when he finished speaking with him, God went up from Abraham. God went up from Abraham. This means that when God was giving this covenant to Abraham, that God manifested himself in a physical, tangible, visual form a lot of times we say that God spoke to so-and-so or God, you know, met with so-and-so. We think it was just audible or in their heart or in their spirit. But God physically manifested himself. This isn't strange because it happened 
you know, again, when God, before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, when God came with his two angels as visitors to Abraham three days after Abraham's circumcision. So when he finished speaking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all of his house-born slaves and all his purchased slaves, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he was circumcised, the flesh of their foreskin, on the same day, just as God had spoken with him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and his son Ishmael was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. On this very same day, Abraham and Ishmael, his son, were circumcised. Also, all the men of his house, house-born slaves, and slaves purchased from foreigner uh, were circumcised with him. So now the interesting thing is, Isaac was circumcised at eight days old. This is still the tradition among the Jewish people today. Every male is circumcised in the Jewish community at eight days old. In Islam, the Muslims still circumcise their male offspring at the age of 13. We see Ishmael is circumcised at 13, and Ishmael is said to be the father of the, the people of the Muslim faith, of the Islamic faith. So this tradition is still carried on. So, all right, guys, that is the Sunday School lesson for today. Thank you so much uh, for everybody being able to join us. Um, join us again at 11 o'clock. We're going to be starting our Sunday morning sermon, so please return and come back at 11 o'clock for the Sunday morning sermon. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you and praise you for everything you've done for us and everything you've given us. Lord, we ask God that you would just bless the reading and the teaching of your word. Help us to understand it, to be able to apply it to our hearts and our lives and our minds. I pray, Lord, even now you would prepare our hearts for the Sunday morning ser sermon and what you have for us in the next half hour. Father, we love you. And we praise you. And again, thank you so much for this technology that our congregation can meet together. We love you and praise you and ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Okay, see you guys in about a half an hour. All right, shalom. God bless. Hi, I'm Chris Shoemaker, also known as Yehuda Ben Shomer, and I run the Rabbinic Pastors Podcast. And I thank you so much for subscribing. I thank you so much for your for listening and uh, joining with me in this journey through the scriptures, through the Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book, as we dig in and delve into the deep, rich meaning of the Word of God and try to exegetically draw out as much as we can and learn as much as we can from the Word of God. I would also like to inform you that I have another podcast called the Rabbinic Pastors Pulpit. Now, the Rabbinic Pastor's Pulpit, I post daily, and I have all the sermons that, I've, uh, that I preach, that I speak. I have a daily devotional called Coffee with Chris as we go through each sidra of the week's Torah portion, and so join me for that. I also have other sermons on there that I preach as guest at Harvest House, uh, Tobik, and other places. And uh, sometimes the Lord will inspire me with a sermon that I really don't know where to put, so I put it on the Rabbinic Pastor's Pulpit. So uh, please join me for that. You'll be edified by the sermons and by the uh, very unique uh, sermon content that is on that channel. And like I said, I post daily, sometimes a couple posts a day. So uh, if, if you really enjoy the Rabbinic Pastor's podcast, I know that you'll love the Rabbinic Pastor's pulpit. So please find it and subscribe, and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Shalom, and God bless.